If you have your Bibles, you're more than welcome. I'm going to open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. You can look on the screen. We're so honored to have you here this morning in this third service. We're honored to have you. Thank you for honoring God with giving. And I really believe you're going to have a better week because you've honored God in this. And uh, so thankful to have you today in this service. I can't wait to tell you next Sunday, it's a Christmas service. We're going to be talking about when, when heaven came down and kissed this earth. It's called the Christmas Kiss is my title for next Sunday. And uh, you're going to be blessed by it. Also, we're going to have a special service songs and uh, some, of the, some of the children are going to have a choir and sing. It'll be a great time. Plus the big announcement of the time, date, and hour of when God is moving us to our new facility. It's going to be exciting. First, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. How I many of you know God established in his word that there are divine rules to keep, not out of regulations and obligations, but out of freedom. He wants us to keep these rules so we can stand in the winter circle of life. That to, re to receive a crown that will never fade and never go away. And these steps toward victory, we learn how to take each and every step to stand in the winter circle of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. And we're trusting you to do only what you can do. Transform hearts and lives and bodies by a magnificent Savior that we have, Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit, we're thankful today for making the way where there seems to be no way. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's men and women said, amen. You could be seated this morning. And as you sit down, would you thank the worship team one more time? All right. Now, I want you to know it's Christmas time. Lots of things. People come in and go in. There's lots of stuff going on. But you honoring God, taking a moment to get into his house, you're going to receive a greater blessing this week, I promise you. The Bible says you honor me, I'm going to honor you. You're going to receive a greater blessing this week by spending a little time in God's presence. So think about this today. You're not born to win. You have to choose to win. When people say, well, I, I was born this way, they were born a leader, or they are born that way. You choose what you become. Life is about choices. Do you know your destiny swings on the hinges of your next decision? You have to make the right decision. It's like the two men, they were out in the woods hunting and they were just kind of hunting for little game like squirrels and little things, you know, just messing around. And they came upon a huge grizzly bear. And all of a sudden the grizzly bear reared up. He was like nine feet tall. And they were, the guys were so panicked. The one guy said to the other guy, our guns, we don't have them. They're not big enough. We can't kill the bear. So the friends decided, let's run. And one of the friends said, you can't outrun that bear. And the guy made the decision and thought to himself, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. And he he began to run. You have to make the decision sometimes to run your race and make the decisions to take the victory. The victory comes when you take the first step as receiving Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. The Bible says, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world but yet loses his soul? Jesus said, marvel not. You have to be born again. There's no option here. You have to come through the Son of God, through Jesus Christ, Him and Him alone. There is no option. You may have the money of, of great wealth and great substance, but without Jesus, you are a certified loser. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. No man comes unto the Father except 
except through him. That's why he said in the book of Acts, there is no other name given unto man whereby we might be saved other than that precious name of Jesus. So you got to come through that channel to victory through Jesus and him alone. That's important because when you make that step to receive Jesus, all of heaven explodes inside of you. You don't come to Jesus by going to church. That can be an avenue, but you're not saved because you go to church. Just because I go to a donut shop doesn't make me a cop. Just because, some of you are again, just because you take your car, which is a Pinto, and drive it through an assembly line of, of the Cadillacs, you don't come out on the other side of Cadillac. Your car is still a Pinto. You have to receive the Lord. You are not saved because your mother knew God. People say, well, I'm saved because I was raised in church, or I'm a Christian because my mom was a Christian, or my daddy was a Christian. The Bible says, to as many as believe, gave he the power to become the sons and daughters of God. I'm not saved because my mother knew God. I'm saved because I found him for myself. He's a personal savior. When you take that step, he becomes personal to you. All of heaven explodes. The DNA of heaven comes in the side of each and every believer. At your day of receiving Christ, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside. The book of Revelation says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, we will come in. That's the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and have supper with him. What God is saying in effect, you have fellowship with me and my father and the power of the Holy Spirit now lives on the inside of you. You can have what the word says you can have. You can do what the Bible says you can do and nothing is impossible to them that take that first step to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's first step. The second path to victory is you have to realize all winners go through adversities and disabilities. We talked about that last Sunday. Every one of us who achieve victory in life only comes through the channel of adversity. Some may call it disabilities. When you realize your disabilities can become your greatest strengths because you put your hand in the hand of God, there nothing is impossible because you're a believer. But you have to realize the thing that was meant to take you out, a disability, a disadvantage, is really with God's help bringing you in to your divine destiny, to your calling, to the purpose that God has put you on the planet for. It's all in your perspective, what you choose to look upon. They become your greatest strengths when you put your hand in the hand of God. Overcoming adversity, overcoming your disabilities is the way God marks great men and great women. You have to realize that. It's not meant to take you out. With God in the equation, it's meant to take you on up, to take you to your next level and to your highest destiny. And that's the people that God chooses. They have to go through the pain to get to the promise. Then there's the third way to get to a place of victory. It's what I call the power of proclamation. It's the opposite of negative speech. Proclamation is the word to proclaim. It's the opposite of remaining the same or saying the same old stuff or talking about what's wrong. Proclamation is to speak God talk. It's to call those things that are not as though they are. You know, the Bible says something interesting. The power of life and the power of death is in the tongue and you will eat the fruit of it. In the Old Testament, Israel had a problem like many New Testament Christians. They had a problem with their negative speech. They would cry and whine and moan about everything that was going wrong. And they wanted to go back to Egypt, the place of bondage. So God sent snakes to the camp of Israel and every person with negative speech, the snakes began to bite 
invite them. I said, oh God, don't let it happen in the New Testament church because there'd be a stampede of the righteous to the back door. Let's just say for the sake of argument, if God let snakes come into this sanctuary and your negative speech would cause the snakes to bite you or your proclamations would cause them to leave you alone, would those snakes leave you alone? People often say, well, my glass is half empty and I have this and I have that. I don't care if your glass is half empty or half full. Why don't you change your confession and thank God you got a glass? Thank God you got something to pour into because the Bible says the cup can runneth over. The goodness of God and the mercy of God shall follow you all the days of your life. It's the power of life and death. You can proclaim. Let the weak say I'm what? Strong. Let the poor say I am rich. Calling those things that are not as though they are. When David ran across the valley floor to fight that monster Goliath, he said, you come to me with a sling and a sword, but I've come to you in the name of the Lord. I've got to tell you that proclamation had more to do with David's victory than the rock that was in that slingshot. The power of your words can bring life and they can bring death. Let's take Moses in the Old Testament. God gave Moses the exact proclamation of the plague that would come to Egypt. And God gave him the exact words to tell Pharaoh. Had Moses not told Pharaoh exactly what was coming down the pipeline, the plague of Egypt would not have come. The power and proclamation of righteous people have the ability to open up the gates of heaven and shut down the gates of hell. The Bible says, you and I, in the book of Revelation, we overcome. I talked about last Sunday. Overcoming is a Bible term for victory, winning. We overcome Satan. That means he's under our feet by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. When you proclaim, you are prophesying Jesus. When you share your testimony, you're prophesying the good things of God. We overcome Satan by what the blood has done for us. Through that blood, we are constantly being cleansed from all of our sin. Through that blood, we're being healed and set apart and set free. Through that blood, we are justified just as if we'd never sinned. Through that blood, we are constantly becoming more than a conqueror through him that loved us. Through that blood, we are being healed and made whole, body, soul, and spirit. Through that blood, we have overcome the adversity of the enemy and all the fiery darts of Satan. Through that blood, we're on our way to heaven as a child of the Most High God. And through that blood, we can call upon the name of the Lord and deliverance is ours because we belong to him. Through that blood, we have power over death, hell, and the grave. Aren't you glad for the blood of the lamb today? It's the power a proclamation. It's so important to speak God talk. It's so important when you start proclaiming those things that are not as though they are. As many of you know, we're moving to the mall, behind the mall, to, to the building we're renovating now. But what many of you don't know, there's a building next to it called UEI. This first stage of the move is first phase. And I'm believing God that the church will take on the UEI building next, and that becomes the main sanctuary. And what we're building right now is the children's wings and all of the, the youth and the event center. But right now, we're going to use it for the church. What am I doing? I'm proclaiming. I tell everybody that I meet about taking over that UEI building. I had somebody recently tell me here at the church, Joey, we got the UEI building. I said, well, not, not in effect in reality, but in the spirit, we've already gotten it. I've been telling all the students over there, they come and see the new facility. They're like, wow, this is amazing. This church, I want to come. I said, oh yeah, you can come. I said, next we're taking over the UEI building. I've had students say, uh, 
am I going to graduate? I'm talking about the proclamation. What am I telling them? I'm saying there's coming a day when God's going to put his finger on it and he's going to give it to us. You may not understand it. I may not understand it. But when righteous people start proclaiming those things that are not as though they are, miracles began to happen. Why? There's a miracle in your mouth. I want you to understand the power of life and the power of death are in your mouth. You speak the miracle out. You proclaim the miracle. You act on the miracle. You call it out each and every day. I call out the miracle. I say, Lord, I thank you that today I'm an overcomer. I thank you today that every day that goes by, I get younger and handsomer. Look what happens. It's the truth of God's word. Each and every day, proclaim the good news, what you're wanting God to do. Understanding the word of God gives it to us in faith believing. Can you give the Lord a hand clap if you're proud to be a part of his kingdom? I'm proud of it. It's the power of proclamation, but winners always proclaim those things that are not as though they are. I proclaimed that city center for many years. I would drive by it as we started the little one in 2010 and the former Copeland's building. I'd proclaim it every time I'd drive by. Lord, I thank you for that building. I thank you, you're gonna give it to us. It's the power of proclamation. It's what winners do. And winners are always persistent because persistence overcomes resistance. Show me somebody who's going through great trial and I'll show you the next one in line for God's great promotion. When you are under great attack, that means the greater blessing is on the way. When you're under adversity and under attack, God's putting something in you called persistence. It's what winners do. The average denominator of all winners throughout the stages of human history, they come through the most challenged, heartbreaking obstacles before they become winners. They're winners not because they they didn't have anything go wrong. They had everything go wrong, but they chose not to give up. They were winners because they refused to become discouraged by their defeat. How many of people do you know, they quit on the one yard line, they quit too soon, they give up at the last minute of the game. I got news for Satan. We are on the the halftime of the game of life and anybody knows if you watched a good game, if it's close or if it's a blowout, come halftime, the coach brings the players in. They start reshuffling the the attendance of this guy goes over here, this one goes over here and now they get them out on the field ready for victory in the second half. Satan, it's the second half and the church greatest days are yet ahead. The church triumphant is coming to be an enforcer in the society and be a great encourager. It's the greatest days ahead for Christians. Well, Joey, I don't know if I believe that. Then if you, if you don't believe it, how can you receive it? If you don't think yourself as part of the solution, then really you're a part of the problem. You have to be persistent, not give up. Proverbs 24 says, though a man may fall down seven times, he shall get up eight times. I like that. That's the secret. That's the secret to winning. Winning is getting up one more time when you've not been knocked down. You're not whipped until you think you're whipped. And if you think you are, then you are. If you think you can't, then you won't. I'm telling you that for a reason. When we took on that city center project, it was a former Copeland's building and it was beyond our, uh, beyond our capacity to pay for it and renovate it. I'll never forget talking to the man and we Required, we acquired the building in 2000, really in 2017. And as we acquired the building, at first we were trying to get it with a lease option. And what that means is we would lease it from the owner. He would pay for the renovations and we would pay him back 
renovate it, raise the funds, and he would do it because he was a builder, and we would do it all. He would be the owner still. And I'll never forget that because it started off that way where he was going to do that. And we thought, praise God, he's gonna renovate it. The building's been dormant for 12 years. It's so beyond repair. It needs everything. And then all of a sudden, God changed the equation. Not only did the man back out of the deal, but he did something even greater. He sold us the building outright. But he said, I'm gonna sell it to you at this reduced price, but I'm not gonna renovate it. You're gonna have to renovate it. Well, that put us in a place where, oh God, you've got to come through. It's one thing to lease option and another man pays for the project, but it's another thing. You own the project. Now you've got to pay for the project. You've got to build the project. You've got to design the project. And therein comes something that I call persistence. Anytime things get tough, you can either shrink back or you can rise up. And we took on the challenge to rise up. But can I tell you, friends, there were some difficult moments. Can I tell you when the roof was leaking and we paid a professional contractor to fix the roof and he, he couldn't do it because the roof was too dilapidated and we lost out on that. And I came in on a Saturday afternoon and it's got two feet of water in it, supposed to be repaired. We ran out of money. We had no plans submitted to the city that were permitted. In other words, they weren't checked off. I got to tell you, my heart got quenched. I gave up for about an hour. I cried my little tears, but there was so much water in the building. Nobody saw it. I cried my tears. I said, oh God, I can't. I gave up for about an hour. And then I said, God, if you're in this, if this is your dream, if this is what you want for the community, I want you to help me. I can't do this by myself. I've done all that I can do. And friends, I got to tell you, something inside of you has to be persistence. I rose up out of my tears and I said, God, it's your dream. It's not my dream. If it's my dream, that thing needs to stay dormant and stay a place where, you know, homeless people live at and, you know, whatever it's doing. But God, if you birth that and it's your dream, let it be lived out of me. See, that's the key to dreaming. It's got to be God's dream and it births out of you. And can I tell you, friends, 2017, God's dream began to birth out. Now the numbers are in. We opened in January 4th, 2018. And from January 4th until October of this year, the numbers are in. This is from a, a, a group outside of the ministry, outside the church, who looked at our books, who looked at the numbers. And here it is, one vision, a vision to help kids get them off the street, to build a community, to get men and women and young people in there, 30,000 square feet, and look at the numbers. 67,098 people have come through that facility since January. I want you to understand that's not repeating people that come in and swipe the key fob and they come every week. That's 67,000 people individually coming through there, but it gets even better. Out of the 67,000 that have come through those doors, 64% over the 1,900 of them are teenagers. 64% are sponsored teenagers. That means over half of those people coming in that facility, they're being sponsored. We're not calling them to pay a membership. They're there. How does that get paid for? Me not know yet. God's got to bring in all the resources and all of the ways. But can I tell you, it even gets even better than that. 78% of the 1,900 kids under a resiliency test are using that facility on a daily or every other day basis. Over 78% of the 1,900 
1,400 are using it. And if you look at it, this is in your bulletin. If you look at the breakdown, African-American, Asian, you look at the breakdown of all the kids that are coming and all the locations they're coming from, you see God's hand at work in that, faci- that facility. But what I'm telling you is that's a part of this church, but that's a part of being persistent. You don't even realize because some of you just kind of come and go in the ministry. You come a few weeks, you leave a couple months, you kind of come and go. But those who are connected to this ministry, who believe, who pray, who tithe, who, who honor God through the ministry in heaven, you're going to be a part of this great thing that God has done in this community. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, it would not have happened if we would have quit and given up on the dream. Persistence overcomes resistance. Let's say it together. Persistence overcomes resistance. Reminds me of the story I read many years ago about a man by the name of Terry Fox. Terry Fox lost his right leg, amputated at the knee because of cancer. But Terry didn't lose hope. As a matter of fact, he started what he called the marathon of hope, where Terry started to run on that amputated leg with an artificial leg on it. And he began to start these marathons of hope. And Terry began a cross-country run. Many people thought that Terry would kind of give up after a day or so. But Terry found himself running over 24 miles a day, almost a marathon each and every day this man would run. Terry began to run, and he didn't stop for 143 days. 143 days running, shuffling back and forth with an artificial leg. Terry managed to run over 3,339 miles until he had to give up his run because doctors had found cancer deep inside his lungs. Terry Fox died a few months later, but his legacy began to grow and it lived on. Every year they have what's called Terry Fox Runs in honor of Terry Fox. And this, literally this mission of hope, this mission that he has started goes all over America and all over the world. 3,339 miles, this man run with an artificial leg with cancer in his lungs. And he was asked, but when he was alive, how did you do that? How did you manage to run? all those miles, all those days, 143 days. And this is what he said, I'll quote. He said, I just kept running to the next telephone pole. When I got so tired, I thought I would fall down. I looked at that pole and I ran to that pole. Friends, it's always too soon to quit. No is not no. No is a word that people use until they get so tired of your persistence till they give you a divine yes. And I say that for a reason because some of the greatest days ahead for you is if you stay the course, if you don't quit and you don't give up. Have you given up on your dreams today? Difficulties are opportunities to better things. Difficulty is opportunity to better things. They're stepping stones to victory. I talked to a Navy SEAL recently, Gino, and this Navy SEAL friend of mine, I began to meet him. And I said, what was the greatest motto that you and the Navy SEALs, he was retired. I said, what's the greatest motto you, you and the guys held to? And he said, our motto was not dead, can't quit. Not dead, can't quit. And I think about that because a lot of Christians, they, they get a little adversity. 
They get a little whiny. They get a little disheveled. They get a little pushback. They get a little temptation, and they just want to quit. They just want to give up. But I'm saying to you, the dead cannot praise the Lord. If you're not dead, don't stop praising God. Don't stop honoring God. Don't stop praising the Lord just because you're not getting what you want. Honor God. Praise the Lord. No matter what comes, defeat is not in your pedigree. You need to square your shoulder. You need to lift your head. You need to live, love, and be happy. God's a good God. The best is yet to come. Don't quit. Difficulty is opportunity to your next level. Be persistent. And here's another characteristic. They recognize the power of partnerships, that we're better together than we ever will be apart. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes says two is better than one. And a threefold strand is not easily broken. That's why I feel sorry for people that teach that oneness gospel that there's no Trinity. I say, you're telling me there's no God, the Father, no Son, and no Holy Spirit, that it's just one? How can we have the threefold if we just believe that it's just one? I'm telling you that threefold is absolutely there for a reason. It's God, the Father. It's his son, Jesus, coming through the womb of the virgin in Bethlehem's manger. It's the power muscle of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside and makes a way where there seems to be no way. There's power in the threefold. I'm a first-generation Christian, Jennifer and I. I'm a first-generation pastor, never pastored before, never been part of a church before. And I today fight battles that the second-generation Steelman family will never have to fight. My daughters will not have to fight the battles that I had fought. I had a time some years ago that I was wondering what, why this was happening with my children, and, and I took the approach as, of how I was raised. So I thought, man, they're going to be fearful this is going to happen. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, you are thinking that way because of how you were raised. They don't have that mechanism because they were raised right. And it calmed me down because that's how I would react. That's what I would have done if I was a child. And I say that for a reason. They're the second, the second strand. My grandchildren will be the threefold. Never underestimate the power of a threefold generation. Some of you are living in the blessing of what your father did, what your mother did, what your grandfather did. Somebody was praying for you. Somebody was interceding on your behalf. Never underestimate the power of partnerships. Jesus gave it in this way. Do unto others that would be done unto you. He started the ministry, not with thousands, with 12. He started with 12. They were partners in his ministry. Jesus taught the church building on partnerships. Don't build the church with get-rich-quick schemes and, and all this type of crazy stuff. Build it with partnerships. That's why I can't wait to take you to our next season. The family, the partnerships that were designed for us to bring culture, to bring family, to bring community. We haven't had it here. That's why we have so much coming and going. We haven't invested here. This is not our geographical place. But when we get to our place, the power of partnerships, the power of connectability is so important. Jesus modeled it and he didn't say, build it with 5,000, build it with 120. He says, you, it begins with two. If two of you agree about anything, it shall be done for you by my Father in heaven. You don't have to have thousands to move heaven. All you got is have two. You may call it a husband, a wife, a prayer partner, a pastor, but petitioning God says, get two of you in agreement. And just because you're together don't mean you're agreed. Cats with their tails tied together, they're together, but how many know they're not unified? 
Just because you come to church doesn't mean you're unified with one another. You have to be with like spirit, somebody that has it. That's why the Bible says two are better than one. True story. You need to hear this because you're the third service and you'll laugh. But this is a true story. This really happened, so I'm not making this up. This is not for a joke. This really happened. So there's a guy that I know, and this guy, every time I'd see him, every time, he, he would wear both suspenders and a belt at the same time. So I was always fascinated, like, hey, you know, I'd never tell him because he's a little bit older than me, but I would never say, I'm, I'm like, look at him, like, he wears suspenders and he wears a belt. Every time I see him, without exception, suspenders and a belt. So finally, one day I got the courage up and I said, sir, I got to ask you. And I, and I wasn't being disrespectful, but I said, why do you wear both suspenders and a belt at the same time? Because he said, Ecclesiastics 4 and 1, two are better than one. He says, woe to them when he has no one there to lift him up. He says, you don't want to know what's down here. I said, oh, TMI. But two are better than one. When you get with a, a red hot believer, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. When you get with somebody in belief, there's nothing that you cannot accomplish when you're in agreement with one another. And that's important because you have to realize you're on this earth for a purpose. That's the, that's the sixth principle of winning. You've got to be clear why you're here. You have a divine purpose. You have something to accomplish. You have something to do. There's nothing greater than seeing someone walking in their divine purpose, whether that's a mom taking care of her kids and that's her divine purpose and taking care of those kids, raising them in the things of God. If it's the, the man who can paint beautifully with excellence, it's like my friend. He's a, he's a great uh, automobile painter. But if you looked at him, and not seen his work, he kind of looks disheveled. He's got paint everywhere. And then one day I saw his car and I'm like, it looked like a pipe bomb blew up in your car. Your car is horrible. I'm like, you paint cars twenty, thirty thousand dollars and these, these painting uh, stuff he does on cars, they're, they're for shows and they're magnificent. But yet you see him, he looks kind of disheveled. His car looks like it's, it pick and pull should come get it. I mean, it looks really bad. His purpose is not fully revealed until you see that man paint those cars. And the magnificence of painting those cars, it's breathtaking. I was at a recently event with my children at school. We go, they go to public school and I went to the event there. And so we were meeting the family and that our kids went to school together and the family was meeting Jennifer and I. And I said, hello, my name is Joey. And the guy said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I do lots of stuff. And at that very moment, Somebody from our church came running over and said, Pastor, you'll never believe last week I brought somebody to church. They gave their heart to the Lord. She turned to that family and said, you, have you ever heard him speak? And their family's looking at them like, what? You ever heard this man preach? It's like fire. It's unbelievable. You should come and hear him. And I'm like, come on, I need to take you with me more often. <laughs> but what was happening? She's seen me in my purpose. See, what many people don't realize, this is the purpose of God while I'm on this planet. It's not to build 
city centers as great as they are. It's not to build apartment buildings for women and children like we will do next, not to build new churches. My job, my calling, my purpose is to preach the gospel. And if you've ever heard somebody who doesn't have that call and they start to preach the gospel, they can't preach their way out of a wet paper bag. It's brutal to listen to. It's nauseating at sometimes, and it's self-grantizing at others. I'm telling you, when somebody has the call, they can do great things. I say that for a reason. I got another friend. He's magnificent in business. He's got a brain. He knows crazy numbers. He knows he does multi-million dollar deals and he has all these numbers in his head. And recently I went out to dinner with him and I was paying for the meal. I should have made him pay, but I was paying for the meal. And so I'm, I'm going over the meal and there was a group of us and I'm like trying to do the tip. And I'm like, oh, how much? And I'm like, so they all started to make fun of me. And I said, what? That's not my gift. It's not my purpose. I almost flipped over the table. That's, you know, I can break stuff. You want to see me break stuff? What was the point? Those numbers are not my gift. But some of you have great ability to know numbers. I think about Miss Stoker back there had a great ability, still does, to honor God with, with her knowledge of accounting and numbers. I have no idea. That's not my purpose. That's not my gift. So you have to realize you're put on this earth for a purpose. You're put on this earth for a gift. You have something to contribute, whether it's cleaning up the house of God, cleaning up your work environment, doing something unto the Lord. You're not working unto man. You're working unto God. And when you get to heaven, he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's so important. But in church life, when we talk about purpose, we just immediately think because we're geared this way. Oh, if I can't preach, if I can't sing, I'm not, I'm not doing what God wants me to do. And there's nothing further from the truth. God's put you in the marketplace. He's put you on this planet to honor him, to do something for him. It may not be great in the eyes of men, but I can tell you, friends, it's going to be great in the eyes of God. It's going to be a great grandstand in heaven when you get there and you fulfill your purpose. But you have to realize in fulfilling that purpose, you got to take 100% responsibility for your life. That's the final one. You have to. You got to. The Bible says we must all give an account for the deeds that were done in our body, whether good or whether bad. That means when we come before God on that great day, he's not gonna ask you about, hey, what'd Joey do? Hey, what, what'd your mom do? What'd your daddy do? What'd your brother do? What'd your sister do? No, he's gonna ask you about your life. And he's gonna say, what did you do with the life that I've given you? What did you do with the life that I've given you? You gotta take responsibility for that. And one of the greatest myths, and I've seen it happen in the last probably 25 years, not before that, but really after we live in a society now where some way, somehow, we're now entitled to a great life. That's why we look for government programs. Hey, they owe us. We're entitled to this. Somehow, somewhere, someone, not us, but somebody else is responsible for filling our lives with good things, continual happiness. Somebody else is responsible for exciting career opportunities blissful personal relationships. Somebody else is responsible because we're on this planet and we exist. But that's not true. There's only one person responsible for the quality of your life, and that person is you. You want to look at the worst enemy you got? Go home and look in the mirror. 
It's not Satan, he's under your feet. The enemy that you have is the one that refuses to take responsibility for your life, your level of achievement, the quality of your life, the quality of a marriage, your physical fitness, your income, the debts, your feeling, everything. It's responsibility lies upon you, not God. The fact of us, most of us has been conditioned, however, to blame somebody else outside ourselves for the parts of life we don't like. All of us have been there. We blame our parents, we blame our boss, we blame our friends, we blame our spouse, we'll blame the church, we'll blame our coworkers, we'll blame our wealth, we'll blame the economy, we'll blame our ethnicity, we'll blame because we don't have hair, that's why they don't like us. And there are really two types of people in this room, two types listening by the way of the internet, those who make good and those who make excuses. And really there are two ways to live, the Bible way and the wrong way. And that's the simplicity of this wonderful gospel. The fact is, you cannot continue the same behavior and expect a different result. You've got to take responsibility for who you are and what you want to become. The Bible says, let us examine ourselves to see if we be of the faith. So I ask you, this holiday season, are you going to be happy? Are you going to look at everything that's going wrong? Are you going to be joyful? Are you going to wake up in the morning saying, oh, happy day? Or saying, oh, God. The choice is what we make it. How is your life going to get better until you realize you'll make it better? Well, the choices that you make, you have to believe it before you can achieve it.